Father, we thank you for the prophetic declaration that's just been made from the mouth of a man into the earth. Father, I thank you that you've called us as a prophetic people. Father, people who see with heavenly sight and with heavenly vision. Father, you've predestined us as children of God. Father, to be conformed to the image of God. And Father, I pray that the word that was just spoken would be heard with spiritual ears in the depths of our innermost being. Father, you say that because we are sons, you've sent the spirit of your son into our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So Father, I pray that that prophetic reality would crash into our world this morning. Father, that from our hearts we would cry out, not speak out, not think within our head, Father, but cry out, Abba, Father, because we've received the substance of sonship within us. Father, a brand new way of thinking, thinking from the heart, thinking from the spirit that then renews our minds and permeates our entire being so that every fiber of our bodies is permeated with you. Father, from the, in, from the inner core right to the tips of our fingers, our toes, our ears, our very extremities, filled with the Spirit of the living God, sons of God, daughters of God. Father, filled with the prophetic reality of being in you. So, Father, we all pray this together in your powerful and awesome name. Amen. Grab a seat. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here this morning. Great to see some new faces and some familiar faces. It's fantastic uh, that you're here. If you're here visiting, welcome. If you're here visiting and have been here like me many, many years and are still visiting, come and join and be part of the family. <laughs> That's who we are. We're a family, like we've heard, a prophetic family, a family who live for something that's bigger than this earth. People who see beyond the surf, people who see the reality of the kingdom of God and are living in it, from it, through it, for it, to it, while being here on earth. It's awesome, hey? And so it really is my privilege to, to be here and share with you this morning. Um, for those of you who have been with us throughout the course of the year, we've been looking at a fantastic theme called the divine nature of Abba, or the divine nature of our Father. And it's my privilege to be the last participant in the series. Um, if you have been here, it has been a powerful series. We've been unpacking who God is and who we are, the divine nature of our Father. And like we've heard over the course of the year, this divine nature, the divine nature of our Father, isn't exclusive to our Father. It is the divine nature of our Father, but as His sons and daughters, it's our nature as well. And it's not an earthly nature, it's still a divine nature, but the divine nature has come to live inside of us. And that's what makes us children of God. We're not children of a flesh and blood lineage. We're not Jewish people per se, but we're spiritual Jews. We're people who have been born into a brand new household, a brand new family, not just in position, but in the very reality and substance of who God is. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we're going to be looking this morning at the divine nature of our Father, and we're going to be looking at our divine nature, the nature that's imparted to us through faith, through receiving the Word of God on the inside. Is that cool? Are you going to be with me this morning? Oh, is this going to be a full audience participation ordeal? The laugh says, oh, I hope that's a laugh of excitement and engagement and not nervous anticipation. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, you can open up with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. 
Now, the title in my Bible is this. It says, God's final word in his son. Now, it starts like this. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. Now, let those words ring through your mind and in your ears. In these last days, he hasn't spoken to us from a prophet, from a good message, from a good sermon, from a powerful preacher. He's spoken to us not even by his son, but in his son. Now listen to this. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. So it says this, it says that God spoke But then in Hebrews, there wasn't a single word that was uttered. So what is this kind of speaking that he's talking about? It says that God spoke in his Son, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. God spoke not just in earthly physical words. He spoke through the demonstration of his son who came to live here on this earth and radiate, demonstrate the divine nature of his father to this world. And through his demonstration came a proclamation that was in words. And when people heard those words, it says that they were cut, they were pierced to their heart. People were flabbergasted at the gracious words that were falling from his lips. And then we see in Luke, their minds kicked in and they started to try and kill the very person who's just proclaimed these gracious words. But God spoke, not just in words, but through the demonstration by sending his son as an example the firstborn among many brethren, a prototype, a prophetic, a prophetic picture of who we as the church of God had been predestined to be and become. You know, he has predestined us as children, but it doesn't just say that he's predestined us to become Christians or to be children. It says that he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's a very different predestining. It's a predestining that's not based on status, but on substance. See, he hasn't predestined us to be the church in title. He's predestined us to be the ecclesia of God and the full reality and substance of what that actually means. So this morning I've titled my message, The Substance of Sonship. The Substance of Sonship. Now, it's come out a few times in the prayer meeting, but I don't know if that's because the title of the message was on the website or if we're all in the zone in the spirit. But God has been speaking already. And just a shameless plug for pre-service prayer and Wednesday morning prayer, you'll hear and capture the heartbeat, I would say, better in a prayer meeting than you will hear in a sermon. Because there's such a genuine and innate expression, as you know what we talked about before, that there's a groan that comes from his sons that cry out, Abba, Father. There's an expression that comes that's, um, that's free. It doesn't come in the structure of a well-prepared, planned-out, It comes from sons and daughters of God genuinely expressing what it is that they've received, the life, the substance, um, the the, the spiritual life, the eternal life within them that naturally flows out. So come along, be part of, don't just be spectators, come and join us, come and participate in what God's doing. So it started this morning and it's hopefully going to continue throughout the course um, of what it is that we're looking at this morning. All right, so Hebrews 1. If you, drop, if you drop down to verse 5, after talking about God speaking through this demonstration, and this demonstration being in his son, he says this about his son. He says, Having become as much better than angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So he's talking about the son, which is Christ, but then further on in Hebrews he's talking about the sons that have been born into the same reality and life and substance, the children of God, us. He has inherited a more excellent name than they. Verse 5. 
For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. To which of his angels did he ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you? What does it mean to be begotten? It's not really a word that you use in English anymore. Yeah, to be born. When Levi was born, Tess and I didn't gather around and say, oh my goodness, she's begotten me a son. It's not part of our vocab. It's not part of our language. But actually, it would probably be a better way to describe what the reality of what had just happened. Because Levi wasn't created. He was begotten. Now, Jesus had to be begotten. The Holy Spirit had to come and impregnate Mary. It says that she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And there was begotten a son, a son placed into her womb by the Holy Spirit without the agency of man, without any human intervention. Jesus was begotten and birthed from this lady, human being. So what does it mean to be begotten? And why did Jesus have to be begotten? Because no human hands and no human effort can birth the eternal life of God. It was before the world ever was. He was the Word in the beginning. And the Word became manifest and dwelt among us. Jesus was not created. He was begotten. And in the same way that the Son was begotten, born into a manger, into this physical earthly realm as the sons and daughters of God we can't be created and we can't create the very eternal life of God within us we must be begotten of God you must be born again born of the spirit born of the very same substance of Jesus you know that that's what makes him a son of God not because he was a Jew, not even because he was in heaven with God before the earth ever was. He was the son of God because he was begotten of the very nature of God, the character of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, all the attributes of God that we've been looking at over the course of the year. That's what makes him a son, not earthly lineage, not Jewishness, but heavenliness, godliness, eternal life. And that same birth is the birth that he's looking for. That's a, that same transformational birthing process is what he's looking to do in us. He's looking for sons and daughters who are born not of the flesh, not of earthly intention, not of your parents' good idea or misfortune, but of the Spirit. You're not an accident. You never were an accident. If you were an accident, your parents created you. Or couldn't have created you. But no person can beget, begot, I don't even know. He has, no person can begot or beget the eternal life of God within you. Do you see what I'm saying? If a man or a woman can create you, they cannot create. You can be wanted re or rejected. But the, but the eternal word of God, the scriptures proclaim that you weren't created. You may have been physically born, but there is a greater life for you to enter into. It's called being born again. And so all of a sudden, because you weren't created, you were begotten, this born again life is now what defines you. It's your starting point. It's who you are. It's where you get your identity from. This, what I'm talking about, is in a completely other realm then what your parents think about you, say about you, whether they love you, care about you, 
And all of a sudden, when you are born again, you receive a new, a new life source. It creates stability. It creates security. It creates a knowledge that can't be rocked by what other people's perspective is about you because they didn't beget you. You've been born from a new substance of life. It's called Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as the body of Christ, that's who you've been predestined to become. Not just sons in status, but sons in substance. And this is the mystery of the gospel that we're looking at this morning. So next verse, it says this. Um, it says, And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He makes his angels ministers in a flame of fire. Now, these angels are pretty solid units. If you read throughout the Old Testament, an angel, a single angel, has the power and the capacity to take out and wipe out an entire city. Angels turn up in the New Testament and people are absolutely floored at the majesty and glory of who they are. He makes his angels ministers. Now, these ministers, angels are messengers, it says in Hebrews, sent for our sake, for the people who are set to inherit salvation. Angels are ministers. They play a functioning role for us as the body of Christ. And he says this, to which of the angels did he ever say, you're my son? And yet they minister in power and authority. Now, not just any old authority. This is impressive. Who here has been able to wipe out an entire city in a heartbeat? Who here's presence has come into a room and floored an entire people group? How powerful are you? And yet he says, to which of his angels did he ever say, you're my son, today I've begotten you? Today I've begotten you. You see, angels play an important functioning role, but they hadn't been begotten. In fact, God had a greater plan for his children than just function, than just ministry, even ministry and flaming fire. You know, when I, was, when I was growing up, I used to see people preaching from the pulpit or missionaries who inspired me. And I was like, man, that must be the ultimate calling in God, to be a missionary, to be overseas, to be speaking in front of hundreds of people. But actually he says here, to which of his angels who, are, who minister in fire and in power did he ever say, today you're my son and I've begotten you? You see, that right there is, in, is a far inferior calling to who we are to be as sons and daughters of God. You can minister in fire and power and let, yet lack the substance of sonship within you. Now, to set as your ultimate goal in life anything other than intimate relationship with the Father and not just any relationship, communion, fellowship, togetherness, oneness. You're selling yourself short. You are selling yourself out of who you're called to be because he says, to which of the angels did he ever say, you're my son? See, the angels ministered in fire and power but didn't have the reality of what the church has been predestined to enter into. So why are you trying to put up as the most important thing in your life something other than what he said you've been predestined to become? Now, to me, the best example that I can think of in terms of what this looks like is when I went to work with my dad, who's here this morning. Thanks, dad. <laughs> but... I came, into, I came into New Zealand Post to work, to work with him for the first time. Now, Dad had just come from being the big boss of the floor that we were on. And it was another senior, another senior role within the organization. And now, as soon as we started at work, people knew who I was because they knew who Dad was. I had a reputation. 
hopefully a good one because of his good reputation. <laughs> but Dad would invite me to sit out in the stairwell and we'd share lunch together. We would swap sandwiches. Sometimes he'd give me an apple. Sometimes I'd give him a biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) But to which of his employees did he ever say, hey, come hang out in the stairwell. Come eat with me. Come share. Come dialogue. Come enter into this closeness, this preciousness of fellowship together. Now, Dad had some pretty good staff, and they were accountants responsible for administering probably multi-million dollars worth of money, Dad. I'm not sure how much it was, but these are people who played a really important functioning role making big decisions in positions of real responsibility. Now, you would think that there was a closer relationship to the people who ministered with greater authority than me. But which is a position of greater fellowship? Being able to minister and administer millions of dollars or being able to sit on the stairwell and intimately share life together? See, to which of his angels did he ever say, and to which of his employees did he ever say, hey, come sit, dine with me, come to know me? You know, I was enriched in my work, far more so sitting out on the stairwell with dad than I was from my boss, who didn't really have much time to me at all, but I had free access. Why? Not because of my position of authority, but because of sonship, because of fellowship, because of intimate relationship that could go somewhere that function could never go. You know, if I didn't perform in the role, it would have absolutely no bearing on whether or not we could sit and share and minister to one another. Why? Because the source of our togetherness wasn't function, it was fellowship. The source of our relationship, our sonship, wasn't status, it was sonship. And so to which of his employees did he ever invite into a quality of relationship where I was able to learn and grow? Dad and I had a great relationship growing up. But this was the first time that it transitioned, I'd say, from being almost like a father-son relationship in the wrong way, if you hear what I'm saying, to co-heirs. We started to share, he would share with me about his work. You know, like, relationship between a young son and a father is fantastic. There's there's grace. There's, I remember a time where, Dad, had, I don't know if you ever remember this, but we were on holiday and they had, we had a cricket bat and for the first time a real cricket ball. And they were like, I think it's better that you stick to a tennis ball. And I assured them that it was all good. And we got out in the backyard and first pop, I went right over this massive backyard into this massive glass house of the, um, the property that we were staying at. And you know, Dad just said, I'll sort it. I, can't, I don't even know what he did, Dad. He went over there and he sussed it out. He probably paid for the window. But that's, a, that's an immature son-father relationship. That's good in its rightful time. You know, that in and of itself creates a measure of security and stability. But that's not the ultimate expression. Imagine if I, if I was still not listening to him and hitting cricket balls over the next-door neighbor's back. There would be an, an issue there. But one needs to to translate and to come into the other. That we sat and we shared in something that was more of a co-earing relationship. And I had access to it, not because of my position, but because of the substance of sonship. You know, the scriptures said, What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we will be called children of God. What manner of love. It doesn't say that the Father would call us to be with Him in heaven. It doesn't say what manner of love the Father would heal us, restore us. No. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we might be called children of God. I put here, Our primary calling in life is not to perform a function for God, but to be and become the sons of God. Do not make ministering for God your high calling. 
We're called to be priests of God, priests according to a new order. It says, according to the order of Melchizedek. And Ezekiel, their priests, it talks about them, they're called the sons of Zadok. Some priests were able to minister in the outer courts, administering, playing a functioning role. But then he prophesies about this new order. The, pri- the, the priests of Zadok, it doesn't say they were all according to the order of Melchizedek, but we know spiritually that they ministered from the same life. Priests that entered in within the veil, priests that ministered not a functioning, performing role, not administering um, bread and the blood of animals and bulls and rams and goats, not administering based on funny uniforms that you normally think about when you think about, well, what's a priest? Oh, someone with a bit of a collar and a flowing robe and someone who can't get married. Actually, priests according to the order of Melchizedek, this priesthood isn't based on any earthly thing. In fact, Hebrews says it's based on the power of an indestructible life. You know that indestructible life as priests is the same substance of sonship that we are to enter into as his body. We're priests who don't administer a functioning role. We're priests who enter into the holiest place, the place of communion, the place of togetherness, to share hearts, to come to know him in a real, genuine way, not just to perform an action, but to become one with him. And it's in the shadow of his wings that we are ministered to. And then from that place, we do play a functioning role. But it's a functioning role that's, that flows from a new place. It flows from this indestructible life, this life source that comes out of fellowship and communion. Like I described in the example with, um, with my dad, no one, when I became a minister at New Zealand Post, when I became my functioning role, I could be functioning well or not well, and it wouldn't t- touch the place of intimate communion with the Father. And so when we start to function, we need to come into the security, the stability within us, knowing who we are in Christ. Otherwise, our performance will determine how we're going every day. You know, I'll preach and I'll be hopefully hoping to catch a number of people on the way out the door to say, hey, well done, great message. It'll be selling myself short of everything. In fact, being a priest, you actually genuinely don't need it, don't think about it, don't want it, don't look for it. That thought doesn't even pass through your mind. Why? Because the value is in, I, no, in, is in sharing is people actually receiving the word. It's in the reproduction of life. You know, Paul was sharing with me, you know, that some people had come and said how much they had appreciated some of the, the ministry that he had been engaging um, with them in. And, you know, I was just amazed, you know, and Paul, we were sitting in a cafe and he, and he said, you know, the most important thing to me is that people, you know, he said that the reward to me is that people actually grow into what it is that I'm talking about, not just appreciate me for what I'm saying. And I was like, wow, you know, that is the heart of a priest. And that's the heart of a father. Is not They don't need appreciation. Their joy is found in seeing their sons grow and be all that they can be. That is thanks enough. It's more than enough. You don't need, if you're looking for that as a father, good luck. You'll look for it your whole life. Your kids will never, ever, ever, even when they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, appreciate you enough for what you think that you're giving out. Honestly, it will never happen. So why not just repent of that operating system and come and receive his eternal life? Why not become a priest and come into the holiest place and share an intimate communion where you're fulfilled by the love of God, where you're... You're, you're a son. You, you can minister from a new place where you don't need anything from the people you're ministering to. You've received everything so you can give everything. You're not giving to receive. You've received to give. 
It's brand new. It's a new life. It's a new way. It's a new operating system. It's a new order. It's a new priesthood. It's a new birth. It's a new life. And it's for you. It's for you. It's not for the preachers. It's for the body of Christ. It's for the sons of God. It's for all of us. This is what it means to be a son. I'm, I'm sharing about, I shared an example in the context of, of speaking from a microphone, but it is in every environment, in every discipleship group, in every relationship that you're in. Come and learn to be a priest. Learn to minister to one another from love, from who he is inside of you, not needing from one another. Not, what does it say? Um, devouring one another but loving and covering, covering a multitude of sins, covering one another's weaknesses, bearing one another's burdens, bearing one another up. Why? Because you can, because he's in you, because you've become a priest of a new order. Man, it's 11.36, and that's page half of (laughs) four. (laughs) I just, um, to be honest, I feel like I've, released something. Does anyone have any questions? Questions, thoughts, comments? Not sermon comments. (laughs) But any genuine questions that have come up or clarity that, that people want? Don't be shy. Good question. So for those who are sitting at the back, what does it mean to ask as sons in the wrong way? So as immature children, you will ask for what benefits you. But God is looking to birth mature sons. And it says, ask for whatever it is that you want and it will be given to you but ask in my name. And so there's a kind of asking that comes from being a son and not a slave. There's a kind of asking that flows from being in this place of communion that I'm talking about. You've been with him. And so you ask from the father's heart and the father's perspective and not what you need to benefit your life, to make your life easier. Your prayers all of a sudden come from a different place. Prayer can be an expression of selfishness and unbelief if we don't enter into what what it is that I'm sharing about. But prayer that's birthed from the heart of the Father, from being a son, is life. And he will give what it is that, that we ask. Good question, Warren. Anyone else? We'll just do it on the microphone so that people can hear. This is this give you a flavor of banquet on a Sunday night. Shameless plug. Um, this is possibly too big of a question for now, I don't know, but you've talked a lot lately about the order of Melchizedek, but I don't really understand what that means. Great question. <laughs> um, Um, so Jackie's question, priests according to the order of Melchizedek. So it talks about priests. Um, it talks about priests being according to the order of Aaron, and they played a functioning role where they would minister and administer um, the sacrifice of goats. They would perform a, an, an earthly function so that the high priest could then enter in once a year into the Holy of Holies and be with God. They played an earthly role, sacrificing bulls and goats that could never cleanse the conscience of dead works and bring us into this new eternal life of God. But the priests, according to the order of Melchizedek, um, it says, became such, not according to the law of earthly requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. They ministered not external things. They ministered spiritual life. And that's the difference. It's a brand new order. Priests, according to the order of Melchizedek, could perform an animal sacrifice. But priests, according to the order of Melchizedek, 
minister a greater life, and it's the reality of Christ, the blood of lamb, the lamb actually cleansing the conscience, conscience from dead works so that we can serve a living God. The, um, the um, priests, according to the order of Aaron, it was always ministry on the outside. Priests, according to the order of Melchizedek, it was a transforming, powerful life that got administered on the inside. I see it as like a doctor. A doctor is an ad, is a minister of medicine. The medicine goes in and it performs a work on the inside. That's what it means to be according to the order of Melchizedek. Do we have any questions about sonship specifically related to the content from this morning? Um, what I heard today is you're describing a life that's full. And so when we all receive the Spirit, we become sons of God. But I'm hearing of something greater than that. I'm hearing about a, a son who's able to live like Christ, like God. How does one go from being receiving the Spirit of sonship to actually living as a son? What does that son need continuously? Good question. So we... As the church of God, we are sons, but we need to receive revelation of who he is and who we are to be able to live this out. So revelation is what empowers transformation. If we don't receive revelation on the inside, what I'm sharing about this morning will always remain a concept. Now, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I can make things make sense, and I'm good at making things make sense. What I can't do is give you revelation. You can only receive that from the Holy Spirit. And so you might be sitting here having even enjoyed the message. But there's a difference between hearing the words and receiving the word. And revelation is the only entrance point into this life. You know, there's a parable of Jesus and he talks about, um, it's like a sower who sows seed and the seed falls on four different types of soil. What, some among rocky grounds, some the thorns grow up and choke, but some find soft and fertile soil. The seed goes in, excuse me, it dies, and it produces a harvest of life. That what he's talking about is revelation. And Jesus says of that parable, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any parable. That's a pretty major statement, probably one to have a look at when you get home, right? If Jesus is saying, if you want to understand any other of my parables, have a look at this one. Why? Because revelation is the only way of being able to enter into true, genuine sonship, to become priests. You must receive revelation. And revelation isn't an epiphany. It's not a new thought. It's not a new concept. It's not even something fresh or exciting. Revelation is a substance that you receive that actually and literally changes you. It is the Word becoming manifest inside of you. You know, we're talk we've been talking, you know, this, you know, some people might have come here to hear a Christmas message, so here it is. <laughs> is that it talks about Jesus as the Son coming to earth, and it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word needs to become flesh and dwell among us, to dwell within us. That, that's the entrance point. That's the way in. You know, it says of, um, oh no, that's probably right. Any other, any other questions related to sonship? No, that's cool. Let's leave it there. Oh, you've got another question. If we don't live as a son, what are we living as? Let me get into the rest of it. Maybe just finish the rest of the message, eh? <laughs> um, so, so Galatians 4 talks. Uh, I'll, read it, I'll read it out to you.
It says this, Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the, is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So we also, while we were children, were held in bondage under the element, elemental things of this world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Now it says this, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. Interesting statement, eh? He says, a child and a slave, same, same, but different. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave. But what is he saying? Now I say that as long as the, as the heir is immature in his thinking, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he just happens to be the owner and inheritor of all things. And so what is he saying? An immature child will think, reason, act, manifest the same life as a slave. Although he happens to be an inheritor of the eternal kingdom, predestined to become a son, to live from the substance of sonship, and yet through lack of knowledge and lack of revelation, lives as a slave. Now, if there's a slave that lives as a slave, it's not the end of the world. But if there's a son that lives as a slave... They're dramatically living beneath their potential. And to be honest, like not to get all heavy, but what the church, I'd say globally, uh, to be honest, live this way. They're, they're sons who are called as sons, predestined as sons, but live as slaves. Why? Because they lack revelation. And revelation will bring you into a knowledge of God and a knowledge of who you are that will have you living out who you were always predestined to be. But without revelation, you'll live being a son but living as a slave, completely selling yourself short of everything. What I described in terms of ministry before, that's a slave position, ministering ad and administering even the gospel. You know, Paul says, having preached to, you know, he, that he's concerned that having preached to others, that he himself may not be disqualified. Disqualified from what? Here's Paul who's received a radical, incredible conversion. Saul who is, it says, who had been predestined before his mother's womb as an apostle to the nations. Paul, and he is concerned that having preached to others, he might be disqualified. What's he talking about? He's talking about something greater than just ministry. He's talking and saying there's something more than just playing a functional role to the church and one another. It's called receiving the substance of sonship within you and eternal life that will have you set free and ministering and administering from a new place. Um, you've been talking about uh, Jesus being a priest of... Um, Melchizedek, after the order of Melchizedek. So do you think that Jesus' whole life uh, has been begotten of the Father, literally, and, and become becoming human and with God's essence? Do you think that his whole life was, uh, was that example that you're talking about, um, you know, um, learning to, to hear the Father and to, to walk in the way of the Father? Good question. Yeah, absolutely. Like Jesus' life is a snapshot of what our lives are to be, you know? And it says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Jesus received, he was birthed of the Holy Spirit, but he came as a human being, not to demonstrate what just God living on the earth will look like, but what God living within a person can manifest, you know, and so he he learned in the same way that we're to learn, and so that's why I'm saying that revelation is is the absolute key because Jesus received revelation from the Father 
that empowered and enabled him to live as he lived. And that's exactly the same for us. Otherwise, if that wasn't the case, everything that I'm talking about is just him. It's looking at his life as God, but not God and man, God with us. His name's Emmanuel, means God with us. It's God who's come to dwell, not next to us, not beside us, but in us and with us, you know? So it's a great question, you know? And, you know, in, in Hebrews 12, it talks about a father bringing up his children. It talks about discipline. It says that the father disciplines those he, whom he loves. And you know, it says those who are illegitimate children don't receive discipline. Interesting, eh? So all of a sudden, discipline is a sign of acceptance, not rejection. It's a sign that you are a son, not that you're not. But when you're disciplined, what comes out of you is an insecurity. Because if you're disciplined and it produces insecurity, it just shows that you lack revelation of who your father is. When you receive this substance within you, this revelation of who you are, you can receive discipline, you can change, you can have your thoughts realigned, you can have your whole life spun upside down because you're no longer rejecting discipline based on your insecurity. You've received love that empowers you to then be changed. And so it's, it's massive, eh? And discipline doesn't necessarily look, need to look like the iron rod, you know? Discipline can be at the gym, you know? Physical discipline. You don't go to the gym and think, oh, my goodness, the gym made me feel so insecure. I mean, I might feel like that. <laughs> but people who go to the gym disciplining their bodies, why? Because they see the end goal. They see the purpose, the potential. And, the, and this is what it means to be disciplined as sons. Does it look like the iron rod sometimes? Yes. Jesus had some really firm words to those whom he walked with and ministered to. But a lot of the time it looks like correcting mindsets and attitudes. It's actually overwhelmingly positive. And even when it seems negative, it's positive because he disciplines us so that we might share and his holiness. It says that it feels uncomfortable for a short time. But what is received, the value of what is received surpasses even the harshness of discipline at that time, you know. And so for us, what I'm describing this morning is so essential, particularly as a community, if we're looking to enter into the bigger things of God, if we're looking to to run this race well, if we're looking to become the bride, if we're looking to become the wise virgins that we've looked at over the last few weeks, we must receive this substance of sonship. We must know that we're accepted. Otherwise, when we hear parables about some entering in and some missing out, you'll instantly think that he's talking about your value as opposed to your inheritance. And so we need to be mature enough to hear a word. It says that he who is, I think it's, he who is immature is, is not acquainted with the word of righteousness. And so this is so foundational, so essential that if we don't get it, we won't get other things. You know, just like the parable, that says, if you don't learn through revelation, you won't receive the substance that comes through revelation, which is Christ in you, which is the divine nature of God. In the same way, if you don't know that you're a son and you're trying to hear a word that's for the mature, you'll be driven away because of insecurity, not empowered based on hope, potential, future, calling, purpose. You'll hear messages about the judgment seat and it will condemn you. It was never supposed to condemn you. It was supposed to inspire you, to put a hope in your heart, to give you something to live for that's bigger than this life and bigger than this earth, to set your life on a brand new course. But not knowing that you're a son will keep you out of your inheritance as a son. It will have you living as a slave, trying to keep the plate spinning, trying to play a functioning role, trying to serve in all sorts of ways, but without knowing that you have been served and have received mercy and from mercy offer your body as a living sacrifice. So it is, it's massive, hey? It's the gospel, it's the power of God, it's his substance of life that lives inside of us, and it's for every one of us. Those who hear the word, you know, Jesus says, 
Um, be careful how you hear. He who has ears to hear will hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so I pray, Father, that what has been deposited, this divine word would find that soft soil in our hearts. Father, let it not be food that's just thrown on the dump. Father, let it be food that's eaten, digested. Father, I pray that we would receive your word with the same anticipation. We would receive your new life, the promise of your new birth with a greater anticipation than what we celebrate your physical birth by receiving presents. Father, let us go from being earthly people to heavenly ones. Father, whose value, who seek the things above and not the things beneath. Father, whose value is earthly things, whose God is not their belly, is not their appetite, but set their minds on what truly is life and life in abundance. It's you. It's you in us. It's the hope of glory. It's the birth of your son. It's the gospel. It's who we were always chosen to be. Father, let no syllable fall to the ground. Let it find its home inside of us. Father, we pray this in your awesome name. Amen. You know, as as one that goes the gym, there's a point to this. Do you know what the greatest discipline is? No, 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 no. Eating right. The greatest discipline is eating right. What food are you eating? You hear what I'm saying? It's not getting here to pump the weights. It's not turning up. It's not getting changed. It's not even doing the exercises. The greatest discipline for someone doing weights is what they put in their mouth. And it's the same with us. Your greatest discipline is what are you eating, John 6. I just want to honor you again, bro. Um, ah. <laughs> we are so rich here of people who know him, who can articulate the simplicity but with power. And like every message, I just want to encourage you to go and eat. Don't go have a burger. Don't rush off and go have a coffee. Go and download that and allow it to wash over you. Not once. Have it playing this entire week and allow the word to get in you. Um, So I just want to pray for you. I I thank you, Father, for Sam. I thank you for the grace gift on his life that you have given him for us. He is a gift for us, and you've sent him here for us. And I pray, Lord, we would receive the gift, and we would um, allow it to minister to us and in us and through us. Lord, I just want to honor Sam, my brother, your son today. I want to thank you that I get to walk with him. I get to learn from him. I get to receive from him, and I get to love him as he loves me, Lord. I thank you for the oneness that you are forming here, and I thank you that as a church, we're not afraid to go where you're taking us, and we're not afraid, Lord, to do the things you say. And so, Father, I pray after this morning that we would all receive and know just how much you love us and how much you want us to be these sons. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, bro.